for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're with Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. Hello, world. How is this world treating you today? I'm not going to say it. Oh, yes, I am. It's Friday, but we love every day, don't we? Thank you, as always, for getting in touch. Truly appreciate it. And hello to you, Colin Gilbert, saying, I see you girls are kicking butt on TNT. Congrats. Thought you might like a bit of Aussie humour. Remember, we are not alone. Many are waking up. Take care. Love and respect from down under. And Colin sent me a clip of Clark and Dor, which was hilarious. I can only imagine it's kind of like our equivalent of um well but it it's almost monty pythonist in in one respect but then also morecambe and wiseish i don't know if those names mean anything to you but it was very funny thank you colin truly appreciate it good morning chat i hope you are all all right the whole crew's in the chat says shin good morning to you all good morning drum and just a bloke and ray can and chris and uh well just the whole crew lisa wonderful wonderful to see you i want to start on a note of sellout every now and again no matter what other subjects i emerge myself in i feel the need to reflect on my past life as a music journalist if you already know this story i'm going to bore you i'm joking i was a music journalist for just over a decade from my mid-20s to my mid-30s i toured the world with some of the biggest names in music i wrote for all major publications and had a weekly spot on KISS FM, I was called Street Knowledge. I believed for many years that music had the power to affect positive change. And I still do to a degree, but my knowledge of how the music industry and media works means I am somewhat less ideological about these things. And sadly to say, somewhat jaded. I'm reflecting on my path today because what I'm about to say comes from a place of more than just showbiz gossip. I feel I have a duty to burst the illusions that showbiz creates. Today, I'm going to talk about artists who sell out, sell out for the most money, the most media attention, the most fame and the most manufactured worship. And they have to pay a price for having the most of everything. Whether you believe in the idea of a Illuminati or not, whether you believe it exists within the music industry, and many, many people do, or if you don't, it really doesn't matter on this occasion. All you have to do is look at the evidence of who has the most and who costs the most. They are also the ones who are used like weapons against us and our children. They come with killer songs and they promote killer messages and they charge us hugely to do it. So today... I am going to look at the world's most expensive artist to see live. It's no longer Beyonce or the Rolling Stones, but that down-to-earth gal, Adele. You must know who she is. Everybody knows who she is. She's been everywhere for a decade, picked and groomed to be the proverbial swan story. And uh, I see yesterday she was suffering something of a backlash, and rightly so. She's at it again, this time extortionate cost to see her live. It's not new for her, but she has now topped the league table of the most expensive artists to see, as I say. And now, as a, a former music journalist, I know it is incredibly expensive to go out on the road. Um, but the artists make an absolute fortune from all the add-ons as well as the ticket prices. So all the merchandise, the programs, and even videos of the event after the affair. You'd think then that they would cut their fans some slack. Not so Adele, whose Munich concert this summer is charging people £300 
for the cheap seats, going up to 984 for the best package. Who spends that money? There were, I have to be honest, a few £60 seats available, but they were few and they were minimal and they've gone. Fans are raging. They say Adele has lost touch with her audience. Really? You only just noticed this? Fact is, Adele sold out a long time ago. I feel personally aggrieved by the selling out of Adele because I was someone who championed her. I wanted her to succeed. She was unstarry. She was down to earth. She was like one of us. She made much of being an awkward, plump girl from South London. People embrace that about her. Being overweight is something that is not really allowed in the music industry because it's so image conscious. But it made Adele relatable to so many people who can feel intimidated by the model-esque pop stars. Then she made it big in America. She moved there and became a regular industry porn. Her COVID narrative surpassed everything. She told fans to wear masks. She insisted on people being jabbed and showing, um, you know, uh, papers before they came to her Las Vegas concert. That later changed so that if people were vaccinated, you didn't need to show a negative test. But if you weren't vaccinated, you did. And then 24 hours before showtime, she postponed the whole thing. And she said that it was because all of her jabbed crew had come down with COVID. We later found out that she'd actually lied about that. She actually felt that it wasn't artistically ready. She's still pushing the COVID narrative. Even now, she's pushed the whole lot. Masks, jabs, social distancing, passports, you name it. And uh, last September, she actually announced that she would no longer be in be doing selfies at her Las Vegas residency because she said, I'm hanging on by a thread trying not to get COVID. So yes, I am not at all surprised that Adele has lost touch with her audience. Imagine how much good an Adele could do if she stood up and said, sod it, I'm going to tell the truth and said there have been excess deaths worldwide since the C-19 jabs, the very jabs that I promoted. I need you to ask, is there a connection? It would change the landscape in a second. Pity that she won't. Her continued success relies on her not sticking her neck out. And on that point, I'm going to go get Gemma Cooper. Be right back. Abroad or at home, this is your news. By staying silent, we are part of the problem. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And it's Friday with Gemma Cooper. How are you today, Gemma? Yes, very well indeed. Interesting story about Adele there because you, you just ask yourself, is it really her or are the words being put in her mouth by the numerous and many record company executives, bosses, the corporations that own those record companies, the parent corporations that are on top of them? When you've got somebody as powerful as that who can command those ticket prices, uh, the, you know, the, the, the message is very clear and she'll be, you know, she'll be told you do what you're told. You know, she did start out as this woman of the people, um, uh, you know, persona. Uh, she came from humble beginnings. I think she, but I think she went to the Paul McCartney Performing Arts School. If I'm not mistaken, she was one of the the alumni to come out of there. Correct. So you know, you ask, ask, yeah, yeah. So ask yourself the question of Paul McCartney, Sir Paul McCartney. Uh, the links to the establishment there. What do they train them in 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 his uh, in his talent school? You know, do, do what you're told. Do what you're told. It's a interesting one. I actually think that there's a very good guest you could get on to do a whole hour about this, and that would be Mark Devlin, who's a really I know well Mark well. Yeah. Yes. I, I, Obviously, with his books, you know, Musical Truth, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, his extensive research on the music industry, and it is forensic research. And, of course, he's well-placed because he is a 
former club DJ and, and music industry insider, just like you. So he's seen it from the inside out. I think he'd have a lot to say on Adele oh, yes. and many, many others in the music industry. But yeah, it does beg the question, is it her or is she just being handed the globalist script? We don't know. Uh, and I, I'd love the opportunity to ask her. Oh, gosh, so would I. And the thing is, what people need to understand is that those ticket prices are not just about her being greedy, although indeed, yes, greedy, but it's about the kudos that comes from being able to command so much. It is a symbolism. It is a statement. It is a status. And that is really where she's at now. And of course, every now and again, of course, she swears to make her seem like she's still one of us. She's not one of us. Do not be fooled. So let's just pop that balloon once and for all. But yes, you're absolutely right, Gemma. We must bring on Mark Devlin. I've interviewed him many times. Times, absolutely brilliant and forensic, as you say. So tell me, what are you here to talk about today? Well, you talk about Adele being out of touch uh, and, and, and facing a backlash. There's a charity in England or in the UK today facing a huge, huge, huge backlash for a decision it's made, which has just come to light over the last 24 hours. And it's the National Multiple Sclerosis Society uh, who sacked unceremoniously, I have to say, I've seen the email and it's horrible. They sacked a 90-year-old volunteer who has been working tirelessly for the charity for 60 years. Her husband had multiple sclerosis and he ran one of the local branches. He's since died. But she has worked raising money for multiple sclerosis for 60 years as a volunteer. And she was sacked uh, because she didn't adhere to their diversity and inclusion policy um, and she didn't uh, understand what pronouns were. And when one of the charity's paid staff asked her to use her pronouns in an email signature, you know, one of those automatic signatures you put on your emails, she said, I, I, I don't know what they are. I, I don't understand what you're asking me to do. Uh, they sacked her because she didn't know what pronouns were. And uh, this is really, really, they've gone against the public mood with this. Uh, but I wonder how indicative we talk about, you know, just there, Adele, you know, the, the policies that she's force maybe uh, to, to broadcast worldwide. These diversity and inclusion policies, they're across charities across the board and all public organizations across the board, but they've misjudged the public mood. Initially that people said it was ageism, but now that the real facts have come to light and the original email sacking this woman, which is so brutal and cold and horribly written, it's hard to see that a human being was behind it at all. But the president wrote to the volunteer and said, uh, you, you don't, uh, you don't, so you've breached our diversity and equality guidelines we're going to have to let you go. Not even really thanking her for her 60 years loyal voluntary service. Uh, the charity has supported its decision initially and said that the staff who, who, who sacked her acted in the best interest. Uh, but the public reaction, oh, people have gone mad, Sonia. People have gone absolutely mad. Uh, some of the comments are, my heart breaks for this woman. Uh, what are this charity thinking? Uh, somebody who clearly knows her, her name is Fran Itkoff, uh, said Fran was always kind. Uh, many, many people are saying they're going to withdraw their financial support to the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. Uh, many people saying that they have people in their families with multiple sclerosis or they have multiple sclerosis. And this is an absolutely abhorrent um, decision. Uh, somebody else said, what she, what did she do that was so terrible that you had to fire her? Well, what's so terrible about not understanding something? You know, does this apply to other policies in the charity? You know, if you say, I don't understand, can somebody help me? You're fired. Uh, and also because she's 90, she's 90. So another person has rightly said this job, now she's lost her husband, may have been the only thing that kept her 
going that that charity has stolen this from her uh, and and then many many people reflecting what we say here at TNT the world is upside down uh, the president of the charity has announced this week that she's retiring uh, she says it's got nothing to do with what happened nothing at all nothing I'm, I'm just retiring I was always going to retire uh, but this this has caused a huge row uh, and I think other charities will probably be watching this story with interest because they've all got these diversity and, and, and equality policies now it's been thrust upon them possibly common purposes behind it we talk about common purpose a lot um but yeah they've misjudged the public mood much like adele uh, and the poor lady six years of loyal voluntary service raising money fired for not understanding what a pronoun is my heart goes out to her. That is a horrible story in so many respects because she's sort of caught up in an era that she doesn't understand. And all she knows is to be devoted to that cause. And they've literally like just thrown her out, you know, thrown her, you know, on the dump. That's it. You're over. You're done with. And I worry about things like this, Gemma, because at, at her age, you know, that's kind of heartbreaking. Um, we know there are studies where people can literally die of a broken heart. And, you know, and what now for her? So I really am deeply concerned about her. And I hate all of these policies, Gemma, not because I'm not an inclusive person. I'm naturally an inclusive person. I was inclusive before I was told that we had to be inclusive or diverse. And I think that a lot of these policies are completely detrimental to society. They create these false ideas. People need to just be able to get on with it. You know, some of the best paid jobs around at the moment are to do with diversity and inclusion. And a lot of it just comes down to really a lot of the diversity and inclusion is really built so heavily around the transgender issue, so heavily. And it's really just about allowing men to, to call themselves women and replace women. You know, once again, in our lifetime, we have a bunch of middle-class men who worked out how they could be the ones who were the victims right? It's absolute madness. I hate it all. I hate it all. And my heart goes out to it and they deserve every bit of backlash they get, Gemma. Tell us what you think in the comments. Horrible. Her loyalty, Gemma, completely trashed. Yeah. And also, you know, let's look at the words diversity and inclusion. Well, not if you're 90 and not if you don't understand something. Right. So how, is it, how is it diverse and inclusive to say, right, well, you don't understand, you're out. That's not very inclusive, is it? And also this, the, you know, charities across the board are adopting these policies. Public organizations across the UK and the world are adopting these policies. So it's a cautionary tale for all of us. You know, if you just say in your workplace, I'm really sorry, I don't understand something. Is that going to get you fired? Because it's not diverse right. and inclusive. And these policies, they're, 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 they're an oxymoron. It, you know, they, they're, we're, they're, we're diverse and inclusive unless you disagree with us. Then we're not diverse right. and inclusive at all. We'll fire you. So it doesn't make any right. sense. It's, they're, they're not even adhering to their own policies. Maybe they should be fired. The bosses should be fired because they're not being diverse and inclusive themselves. If I was uh, this lady's family, I'd be considering a, a legal action on that basis. What's diverse right. and inclusive about fi firing me because I don't understand something? Um, you know, and that could set a precedent then for other companies to, to watch their step. When it comes to these policies but it you know i like to bring positive news to tnt on a friday um but this story i couldn't ignore it because of the backlash it's generated mm -hmm. and i hope it really does make this charity reconsider it's a big national charity i think they will feel the hit in their pockets and i think other charities will be looking at this and thinking oh we'd better be careful with our diversity and inclusion policies Yes, indeed. It's funny because one of the tech guys earlier, we were talking about pronouns, oddly enough. And I said, my pronouns are mind your own business. And the thing is, right, is that 
pronouns, the whole issue of pronouns is really about deception because for the most part, you can look at me and you know my pronouns are she and her, you know that. And oftentimes the only reason we use pronouns is when we're trying to fool somebody that we're not what is very obvious to the naked eye. So listen, on that note, thank you so much. This has been Friday's version with Gemma Cooper and it's still positive because Gemma is here with us and uh, we will see her again on Monday. I will be right back shortly with our first guest. TNT's Darren Denslow. Yeah, I'm talking about the illness. Actually, that has done, has been doing the rounds. Not have we only seen a, uh, a mass influx of people waving their COVID tests online. Look, I got a red line. It's like, oh my God, people are testing. Or people, you know, trying to encourage others to wear their masks. Um, but there has been a talk of a dry cough. There have been doctors coming out saying we've seen loads of cases of that. Uh, have you been suffering from, you know, a bit of cough and flu or cold? Or COVID. Well, Darren, I, COVID. I, I just I just did my eighth test, oh, and okay. um, I, I'm just going to keep doing it until I get lines and lines. Why? Well, because work's coming back up, isn't it? Digging deeper with DD Denslow on today's News Talk TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular, we can build that. At the top of the hour, we'll keep on top of the news. It's the most important thing we can do. On today's News Talk, TNT Radio. I'm just reading some of your comments that are coming in. Mogden said, I'll put my money into TNT rather than charities. Well, I'm going to hold you to that, Mogden, because TNT is an independent global news talk station that does what others only say they will do. TNT is a live radio and TV broadcaster that simply tells the truth 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No one in the world does what we do, truly. Crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day and all night. In two and a half years, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and brilliant staff. It's a critical time and we must continue to call out the misinformation and propaganda from mainstream media and their very powerful sponsors. We are now appealing to our many friends and supporters around the world to go to tntradio.live and make a small donation to TNT while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission. And on that note, I want to draw your attention to a story that uh, drew my attention. A new study looks at how modern life is making men and some women lose their hair earlier. This includes processed foods, certain drinks and stress, which have all been linked to accelerating boldness and thinning hair. So, 
What does the condition of our hair, scalp and skin tell us about ourselves? Is it a reflection of what we eat and of our polluted and toxic environments? How much is down to genetics from the things we have inherited from our ancestors or the things that we put into our body? Here to answer all these questions and more is trichologist. Cheryl Taylor and Cheryl. I always have to pause there because I always want to say Cheryl. And she's told me off about this before. Good morning to you, Cheryl. Lovely to see you. Oh, happy, beautiful day, Sonia. Happy, beautiful day to everyone there. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. You are a beautiful trichologist. You specialize in the study of problems related to the hair and scalp and the skin. What do you think about that study linking processed foods and, you know, sort of really poor habits to boldness and thinning hair? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Queen Mary University in 2008 actually did a study and the outcome was pollution makes men go bald but not just pollution because obviously when we're breathing drinking polluted food if you like um then it does actually um stay in the body and when we excrete those toxins um we excrete them through our lipids and lipids are oils sebum is oil so if you've got that toxic sebum coming through the scalp then actually it can kill hair and what it's doing is causing male and female pattern hair loss when there isn't any hereditary hair loss so i'm often seeing clients coming in and saying oh i've you know it's male pattern or female pattern hair loss but they've got no family members with actual male or female pattern hair loss um also diet massive massive thing with hair a hair is made from a diet basically and if you're eating a diet of beige food you know sort of like your chips and your breads and you know that kind of thing then it is definitely going to have a knock-on effect on your hair but not straight away it can take decades of basically self-abuse um for that to start sort of coming out in the system so yes, definitely, definitely can make an impact. So this yeah. study also cited other things such as stress, um, drinking certain drinks and smoking. What about that? Well, smoking, as we know, depletes the body of um, vital nutrients like vitamin C. So yes, yeah, smoking definitely. And also if it's the ones that come in already done in a packet, then they don't just contain nicotine. They also contain, I think, about 2,000 other chemicals. Um, our body isn't really good at, at dealing with chemicals as well. So, again, sometimes that can come out the skin. Um, drinks, yeah, high sugar. Sugar depletes collagen in the skin. Um, and if you think you're, well, your hair is coming out of a hair follicle that is basically made of skin. So if the collagen is collapsing, then technically the, the hair follicle is collapsing on the hair as it's growing. Stress, absolute hair killer. I mean, it is probably the number one reason why I see um, people with, yeah, um, not, not the, I mean, the, the genetic can be an underlying cause, but don't forget that stress affects our adrenal glands. Our adrenal glands produces hormones. And then that has, an, again, a knock-on effect, can cause autoimmunity. And we're not just talking sort of like um, neurological stress. We're also talking physiological stress. 
So if someone has uh, a condition, so if they're diabetic or if they are taking pain medication, any sort of autoimmune condition will definitely have a knock-on effect to, to hair loss, definitely. But stress is probably the number one, for me, the number one hair killer in clinic, yeah. Wow. Now, see, I didn't realise that at all, at all. And mm. so what would be a good route for healthy hair? Oh, where do I start? Um, I know it's a small question to a big answer, <laughs> isn't it? So, but presumably, a, a decent diet has reduce your stress as much as humanly possible. That's already putting you on a good road, isn't it? Definitely. And if you look at the back of the side effects for most medications, alopecia is up there on a side effect. So, if someone is taking multiple medications and they've all got that kind of um, you know, that side effects one way or another, then yeah, that's your physiological stress. So do we need to take the medication that we're taking? Obviously, some is obviously keeping people alive, but there are ones that people take, you know, sort of popping tablets just for the sake of it. You know, I've got a bit of a headache. Do I drink a glass of water or shall I take a couple of paracetamol? We'll try the water and salt first. And then if it's still not working and you need to do something and you can't lay down, then clearly take a paracetamol. And that's just, you know, just one thing. If someone's got um, blood pressure, cholesterol, um, uh, thyroid tablet, something else and something else and they're diabetic, they're, then they're going to have more of a problem than someone that just maybe takes uh, a paracetamol every now and again. Um, yeah. Food, such, I mean, my nan, you are what you eat. Absolutely. Um, and the food triangle is up the wrong way, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, there are certain foods that that are high in sugar that, again, can cause that collapse. But, yeah, it's just getting en enough protein, enough good sort of fruits and vegetables and, like, decent grains. And, unfortunately, yes, organic food is a lot more expensive, but you're definitely getting you're getting much, much better quality food, which is then going to be good for your hair and your skin. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Plenty of food for thought here on uh, hair care and the importance of a healthy barnet. And on that note, we're going to go to the news headlines. Be right back. Attention. Special bulletin, special bulletin. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. The wife of WikiLeaks co-founder Julian Assange has warned her husband will die if the UK greenlights his extradition to the US next week, where he faces life in prison on espionage charges. The director of the US Food and Drug Administrations admitted the agency failed to accurately inform Americans about the dangers of the COVID-19 vaccines. And the US has claimed Iranian soldiers are on the ground in Yemen, helping the Houthis launch attacks on ships in the Red Sea. The Common Housefly Caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live.
I'm here with trichologist Cheryl Taylor, and uh, this is fascinating. I'm discovering that stress is really a major, major factor of people showing up in Cheryl's clinic with hair loss and all manner of unhealthy hair. Tell us about what it is that you do. Microscopy, what is that? So I take between sort of 10, 15, 20 hairs. I have to extract it by the root. I put it under a microscope and looking at the root and how it's growing determines you know, why someone is basically losing hair or getting thinner hair. Um, I've got, I did actually get some photos ready if you, if uh, at some point want to screen share and then I can show you what they actually look like under the microscope. Um, but yeah, it can show stress, malnutrition. Um, and when I say malnutrition, it's not necessarily that someone isn't giving their body the right nutrition. It's that they may not be absorbing it in some way, shape or form. It can show the lack of it can show root level hair breakage, which is uh, a scalp condition in itself. Because if the scalp isn't very healthy, then the hair isn't going to grow very healthy. And normally, right. the first indication of an unhealthy scalp is maybe itching, feeling a little bit bruised, sensitive, hot, sweaty, oily, and then this can actually cause root level breakage. And it can destroy the minerals in the hair and the, and the proteins in the hair as it's actually growing through the scalp. Um, normally, someone has a, um, a little bit of a problem and then over time it gets worse um, because the scalp condition is getting worse. Their stress is getting worse because they're losing more and more hair. And, and it can show all of this. Um, hormones that are all over the place. We're seeing a lot of, lot of hormone disruption in people that I shouldn't be seeing. Um, but maybe that's another show. <laughs> no, I, I like that part. What are you what are you alluding to there? Are we are we saying something here about the C19 jabs by any chance? We are. I started seeing it with the first rollout um, and then it steadily got worse. It then um, had a knock on effect of people that was being around people that was having these um, uh, experiments and now it's almost everybody so I don't know if it is um, a shedding thing I, I'm you know I'm, this is purely anecdotal so I'm not it's early days yes but you but it's it's what you're observing though right and that that's relevant yeah it is and initially um, I just thought because I'd see mainly women of a certain age um, I thought oh this is weird. Everyone's going through some kind of menopause. And then I was getting younger women coming in sort of 35 being told they're peri perimenopausal and then younger. And it was like, hang on a minute, this isn't right. Uh, and then a little girl under the age of, age of puberty looked like she had menopausal hair. And then I was getting teenage lads coming in with the same condition. And I have never, ever seen it on a guy. Um, and well, unless they were taking cocaine. So cocaine can make the root of the hair look the same as a woman going through full blown menopause, basically. Um, and obviously this little eight year old girl wasn't and neither was this 17 year old lad. Um, and then it was like I said, people that live with people that had and um, or socialize with a lot of people that had. And now I don't know if it's in the air, in the water, um, it's, because I know they can't take the medications out of the water or the this hormones. Is, 
I think this is an important and significant observation there. Now, so that's something I want to look into more definitely, and I absolutely would, and probably bring you back to discuss that. But let me give you some questions. We asked people if they had any hair or scalp questions, and th the one that kept coming back to me was to do with dandruff. And so I'm going to pick oh, what? Um, one. Yeah, I'm going to pick one of the questions here. I wash my hair twice a week with anti-dandruff shampoo, but my flakes seem to be increasing. Where am I going wrong? Should I be washing more or less? Well, some anti-dandruff shampoos are too strong. So it may be just taking all the natural oils from the scalp um, because sebum and natural lipid and natural oil is antibacterial moisturizing and um, exfoliating. So if you're removing your own natural oils, then you're not giving your body the natural exfoliating property that you need. So that could be one thing. Um, a second thing, if it's very, very, very big flakes um, and sort of very red and sore at the same time, that again is your body's way of detoxing. So often if we are putting things in our body that it can't deal with via the, the liver, the kidneys, the bowels, the, uh, the kit, um, uh, and the bladder, um, then it will actually come through the skin. So it could be a toxicity problem as well. Um, and stress. So if you're under stress, you are going to be creating more or more sweat. Sweat is very drying on the skin. I mean, I always say to people, if you go to the gym and sweat a lot and it's sort of a warm day and the, the, the sweat evaporates off and you're left with the salt on the skin, then it's going to make your skin feel very dry and tight. But you don't leave it on there for long and then you wash it off and then there's, there's no problem. But on the scalp, if you're sweating a lot, especially during the night, you're waking up and the, the 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 salt is actually dehydrating the scalp. So it, it depends what the flakes look like. So, for instance, if they're very, very fine uh, um, and, you know, the ones that you like, they're there <laughs> and you're flicking them off and they're very, very small and fine and white, then it's probably a dehydration dandruff. Um if it's uh, sort of yellow and waxy, then that's like seborrheic dermatitis. Um, so there are different kinds of flakes that you get on the skin and they all mean sort of different things really. Right, so, um, right. Yeah. So that's quite it's, uh, difficult to answer without actually being able to see what you're dealing with. The other yeah, one that um, several yeah. people wrote to me about, and I'm going to use uh, Julie, she said, I have psoriasis. I don't want to use steroid creams, but is there another way to treat it on my scalp? Again, that's an internal thing. It's often created initially by shock or stress. Um, and when we are under shock or stress, some of our systems shut down. So if you're, um, so say it was a, a, you've lost someone dramatically, suddenly, or you've had a car accident or something like that, um, your oil system will shut down, your lipid system will shut down just briefly. And then again, sometimes that can create internal toxins. So your body's trying to get rid of the toxins. You haven't got the oil to try and get, get rid of the, the flakes. And then sometimes you get this buildup. Um, but again, that can be cre uh, created by um, internal foods. So some people are getting um, intolerances to foods as well. So again, it's finding out where it came from and clearing it up from the from the bottom up. Um, gut detox can help.
Right, that's what I was going to say to you is, is detox a good way around dealing with this? And also one of the things that I did, I've, I've had lots of different things. I've had psoriasis and everything. And one of the things I did is I worked on the basis of removing an item one at a time to see if I had any change. Is that a good way or is that just a bit of an awkward way around it? You either cut everything out and introduce them one at a time or you try one thing at a time. Uh, the majority of people try... Um, dairy and wheat which is normally a good place to start um and then see what happens really there's not really there isn't a topical treatment for psoriasis and there isn't an actual sort of cure-all there's a there's a maintenance so you can you can keep it under control um but it is it is a from within issue and there are quick fixes, sort of, but it, it does need to be sort of dealt with on the on the inside out, really. Steroid creams um, will push the problem back into the skin. Look at that. So when which you, is the common yeah. the common thing offered, isn't it? And there is absolutely. How can people contact you? Because I, I'm already seeing messages in my email saying, "How can I get a hold of this woman?" <laughs> Well, my website is the W's, um, hairandskinsolutions.co.uk. My telephone number and email address is on there. And there's also a contact us um, form. And the email is help at hands.co.uk. It looks like hands with two S's. Yes, indeed. That was my confusion. <laughs> Which is why I got confused. I greatly appreciate you coming on. This has been such an illuminating conversation, particularly about the C19 jabs. I think that is something to keep observing. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Cheryl. Really greatly appreciate it, everybody. This is a trichologist who is prepared to walk the talk. Absolutely, she is. Have a wonderful day. Take excellent care of yourself. I will be right back with our next guest. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I really don't understand how this trial between Michael Mann and Mark Stein is continuing. And I don't know if Dr. Mann wanted to put his hockey stick on trial. There are so many holes in his argument. It is hard to believe. I don't even understand how people could have let that out without questioning it. And I've talked about this before. One of the biggest problems I have is he won't let anyone look at his data, at least no one that is skeptical of his data. And that should raise red flags. And I've talked about this many, many times. You can go and look at what the global temperature does. When it's warm in the eastern and central part of the United States and warm across Europe, usually the global temperature is elevated. Now, when it's cold in those areas, believe it or not, the global temperature is actually colder. The problem with this whole hockey stick and the recreation of temperatures from pine cones is the areas he looks at and draws his ideas from are usually cold when the earth is warm. So he would not be able to detect that. He would not know that because he's not a meteorologist. If he was a meteorologist, would he know it? Of course he'd know it because we talk about this all the time. They're called teleconnections. So if I were in there talking about this, I'd be asking, where is your meteorology background and are you aware of this going on? But in any case, this whole hockey stick idea of temperature recreation looks to be more of a hokey stick to a lot of us out there. And the first red flag is you wouldn't let anyone look at your data. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. 
On a virtual road, you can test the limits of your driving ability to see how fast you can go under the most extreme conditions, like when it's dark, when the weather's bad, or when the unexpected happens. The higher the speed, the harder the impact. But driving isn't a game or a race. When you're on the road, just 10 miles per hour over the limit can mean the difference between life and death. You're responsible for people's lives and your own. Slow down and save lives. TNT. Sonia Poulton and today's News Talk. TNT. Now, last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20th and 21 at the UK High Court. This is to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London. And in fact, after this show, I will be joining Abby Roberts for a short period to discuss next week. Also, so the London premiere of the Trust for Julian Assange will be at the Rio Cinema on Sunday, 18th of February at 1pm. The film will be followed by a panel discussion and Q&A with Tari Galli, Christine Harafnason and hopefully Stella Assange. To find out more, go to your favourite search engine and search for the Trust for Julian Assange London premiere. And this, of course, is TNT and we are, as ever, lighting the fuse for freedom. And on that note, I do like to respond positively to the requests that you lot send me. And if there is one current story I receive the most requests to cover, it is that of former British nurse Lucy Letby, who was convicted of murdering seven babies in the neonatal unit she worked at in a hospital in Chester, England. Now, many, many people, I've lived Literally never received an email telling me that Lucy Letby is guilty, but I have received many telling me that she is innocent. Now, as I say, many people believe that Letby was the scapegoat for others' incompetence and problems at the hospital. And I just want to read you a brief example. This is from John. John sent this to me in October 2023. Good morning to you, John. He said, hi, Sonia. No murders or attacks happened. The cause of baby deaths was virus infection from the leaking sewage pipe, sepsis, small cramped unit with cotton close together, which caused infection to easily spread medical negligence by the gang of four who were incompetent junior doctors at the time, poor care, understaffing on an unsafe and chaotic unit. Now, I have to say, John is absolutely representative of a lot of the emails and messages I receive about Lucy Letby. So, here I am responding to your request and I want to welcome my guests to discuss the case and so much more. She is the darling, Christina Doucher. Good morning, Christina, although I know it's some obscene time where you are. Good, good, good almost morning, Sonia. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. It is time, but uh, it, but we we, it, we we soldier on. We absolutely do. Christina is a Sunday Times best-selling author of Vox and Q, and amongst other acclaimed books. And her latest book, The Sentence, is about to be published by Harper's Collins. And you know, you said to me, and so then I started to look more into the sentence, and I realised that the similarities to what we're dealing with with the Lucy Letby case cannot be ignored. Christina, talk to us about what you yeah. saw as some similarities. They, they they can't be ignored. So first of all, I'm I'm based in the US. I have dual citizenship. I'm very very aware of what's going on in the UK news. Uh, I followed the Letby case. I 
am confident that if Letby had been tried here in the US and found guilty, she would be on death row right now. Uh, there are not many women on death row. They're usually there for, you know, killing their kids for insurance purposes and other heinous crimes. You have to be a bad, bad girl to get the uh, to get the death penalty here in the States. But it does happen. So uh, when I think about someone on death row, I think I have a visceral reaction. Now, honestly, of course, I have a visceral reaction to the crimes as well as anybody would with uh, uh, you, know, you kill a baby and that's that's terrible. That's um, it's unthinkable. I, I can't even I can't even fathom the kind of mindset that would that would engage in that. But then I think about justice and what's important to hear is not trying to find someone. It's trying to find the right person and making if I may use this word, dead sure that we know we've got the right person. Because on the one hand, in the UK, I mean, Lucy Letby has an unusual sentence. It's called a whole life, several whole life sentences, I believe. And which means that she will never leave prison. That's right. 14 whole life orders she right. has. And exactly. obviously she just mounted a fresh bid, uh, yep. an appeal to appeal her convictions and uh, but yeah 14 whole life orders go right. on that's Christina. a very long time for a 34 year old girl um it is unfortunately if in the in in countries that have the death penalty uh the the time is much shorter and of course the consequences are irreparable so uh, you know if we turn our attention for instance and i'm i'm not voting for whether let be is guilty or innocent i don't know right on the right. jury I, I did not follow the trial that's not the issue here the issue is that we must be certain and here's a here's an interesting case from 2003 in the netherlands there's a woman named lucia de burke who coincidentally is also a pediatric nurse and charged with uh at first, four murders and three attempted. And I, th I think after during the trial, the, the numbers went up slightly. She was given a life sentence. Um, in, and that was back in 2003. She was finally exonerated in 2010. If it, the deaths were ruled of, of natural causes. Now, again, if this woman had been in the US, she might very well have found herself on death row. So I find this quite fascinating. Another thing I find fascinating about the UK population is that having lived there and having lots of friends there, I am well aware that you don't have the death penalty anymore. That doesn't translate into nobody wants the death penalty. So if you look at the comments in the Telegraph, for instance, that, uh, you know, the, during the, the, the Let Be trial, or if you look at the comments in the mail uh, just as of last week when the news broke about her appeals and, 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 and you know, these sort of last-ditch efforts, what you find is a whole lot of comments from Brits who say, let her swing. And... This is fascinating to me because what is, I mean, what is the collateral that people are willing to put on the table right. to let that happen? If you're so damned, pardon me, 
sure, then what do you do? What, what, how can you, how can you guarantee, but what guarantee do you have? And so my book, the sentence imagines a very, very bad murder. Uh, once again, the murder of a child, uh, a, a, a man who looks guilty from top to bottom, a prosecutor who doesn't want to ask for the death penalty, but does. And, uh, and a law that forces said prosecutor to put her own life on the line if this man that she sends to death row is ever found innocent. So I have this, this is on my mind quite a bit. And I, I think whenever I hear that let her swing or hang her or she deserves the chamber or the chair, I have to, I have to ask one question and that is how sure are you and it's it's a really important question because the last woman hanged in Britain was Ruth Ellis and Ruth yes, Ellis they, Ruth they made the movie uh, Dance with a Stranger absolutely terrible horrendous story and arguably Ruth Ellis was so emotionally destroyed in so many respects she'd lost the baby she was carrying her you know her boyfriend was well not really her boyfriend he was just kind of using her and she ended up shooting and I'm not justifying her shooting him whatsoever but with right. what we know now about psychology and emotions the chances are if she was in a different era she would have had a completely different outcome wouldn't she but as you say the, the point about the sentence and the point about Lucy Letby is let her swing but we can't take that back if in the event right. of the story that you're talking about, we then find other information and evidence to prove that that person is innocent, it's done, it's over. There is no going back from that. That's absolutely it. And, and in fact, um, it was, uh, oh my goodness, Anthony Amsterdam, when he was arguing before the Supreme Court on a case uh, some years ago, and, and he's got a really famous quote, uh, you know, death is different. Right. Death is, death is permanent. Death is, ir, you know, irreversible. So if we're if we're going to talk about having the death penalty and there are other discussions as well, there's the, the, the sense of closure for families, uh, the sense of justice, the uh, there's the, the age old economic argument, which is why should we pay for these people to sit in jail? It actually costs much more uh, in the U.S to get a person to hold a person on death row and deal with all of the appeals and whatnot it costs it costs much more than to actually house that person for life which is contrary to uh intuition i think but it is a surprising sort of a number um and what here's another thing that i that i found interesting i ran a i ran a twitter poll you know because as a as a former scientist i figured uh twitter polls are really the the be all and end all um <laughs> but i did get i did get almost a thousand votes and i split it up between four ways uh you know the uk and us and then within within each set uh, you know the the choices were completely against the death penalty or it depends what I found was that um, the in the UK, the UK actually had about 750 or so respondents and and it was 65, 35, 65 totally against 35 uh, percent. It depends, which um, which is also fascinating, I think, because in light of the letter swing arguments, you know, it is not the case that a book about the death penalty doesn't have a potential audience in the United Kingdom. 
the, the, there's, the laws don't reflect necessarily the views of the people. So, so I think it's highly relevant and I do hope people read it, but, but also, I also hope that before we continue to say, let her swing, we think a little bit harder and really ask, how sure are we before we, we send someone to away for life or worse, send someone to a place from which there's no coming back ever. Absolutely. I'm going to continue to do more deep dives on Lucy Letby just because there's so much information surrounding her. But I think that as a general conversation, it's really important because we have to ask ourselves, what sort of society do we want to be? Do we want to be a punishing society? Do we want to be an eye for an eye society? I was always opposed to the death penalty, Christina, until I encountered such characters as Levi Belfield, who murdered Millie Dowler, Amelie de Lagrange, and there was no doubt whatsoever that he was responsible. And Suddenly, I found myself saying, let him die. I'd pull the switch myself, which was completely contrary to who I've been my entire life. And I, I, I don't know whether that's age or we're just so tired of rotten, rotten people doing rotten, rotten things. Well, we grow up, we change, we see more things. We, we do see that miscarriages of justice happen, as in the Lucia de Burke case. There was also a rapist, I believe, or an alleged rapist in the UK some years ago. I don't remember the name. Um, and, you know, and if I can sort of close with, with anything, it's, it's, it's this. I, my, my dear father, uh, used, when, I, when I was writing this book, and, and he was very much uh, for capital punishment because he believed that it was justice. Uh, his response to me was always, well, you'd change your mind if it were your kid who were the victim. This is the and thing. My, and my response to him was, and you might change your mind if it were your kid who were the accused. Oh, oh, we've got some brilliant comments in coming in here. Hope and love and peace said my granny went to the protest to try to stop them hanging Ruth Ellis. I mean, that uh, just would have been a dire, dire time. Awful, absolutely horrendous. You know, that's a really good point you've just raised there. My brother always says it's not happening until it's happening to you. So it's really easy, isn't it? And that applies to everything. It's really easy for us to say, oh, yeah, just kill that person because we have no attachment to them. But you're absolutely right. What if it is your kid that is accused? Wouldn't you have a completely different take? Wouldn't you want every area of the law exhausted? Thoroughly exhausted. And with the Lucy Letby case, there are so many loose ends around the whole story. And it is highly questionable. I can see why people are disturbed and have, so many have contacted me about it because it's not straightforward. And the no, gut instinct says something's wrong, right? It's, it's not. I mean, there, there, there are a couple of things. One, I, I learned recently listening to, I think, Peter Hitchens say what you want about him. But hey, you know, he was talking on the, on the subject. I, I learned recently that it's very difficult, apparently, to find expert witnesses who will come up and stand and testify for the defense in, in a case like this. So the only expert witness that Letby had at her trial was, in fact, the plumber, who was the one who was talking about the, the, the problems right. with the, uh, with the, the sewage and the yeah. sewage and, and so yeah. on. And then yeah. the, the other thing that happened was that there's, there's an excellent article uh, by uh, uh, Dr. David Livermore, who's a medical microbiologist. I think it 
at a university in, in the UK, and he wrote on the Daily, Daily Skeptic. He's got quite a good outline of some of the statistical anomalies and um, and some interesting kind of you know fresh parsings of the famous Green Letter. So I will look out there, for that. I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to stop you there, which I hate having to do. Everybody, I know. this has been the formidable Christina Doucher. Please check out her book coming in March, The Sentence. It will be, I can guarantee you, as brilliant as she is. This has been Friday's edition of the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk TNT. Christina, take excellent care of yourself. Get some sleep, lass. Wonderful to have her with us and wonderful to have you with us as well. Thank you for being here all week. We love you dearly and I will see you shortly on the Abby Roberts Show. But other than that, if I don't see you then, I will see you Monday. Take excellent care of yourself.